Hello and welcome to the Champ We Are United podcast. My name is Matt. I'm your host and welcome to episode 66. The man with no nickname. Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm the man with no nickname, Matt. Oh, already you can probably tell two people from the distinctive laugh and from the distinctive uh, voice in the studio Ooh. with me today. Ooh. First of all, I'll say good evening to Joel. Good evening, Matt. What episode number is this? <laughs> it's, I think it's 66, Joel. I think it's 66. 66? Yes, <laughs> wow. and also in the studio with me and Goal tonight, we have Tangent himself. Oh, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Sorry for all the chuckling. I think people are used to it, but I thought he was going to do the 66 <laughs> rather than the man with no nickname. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a bit of a worry when you start thinking about these jokes before you even start saying them. Really yeah. <laughs> these jokes for the last four years. But, I can't get some counselling if I was you, Paul. That's a that's a major I'd concern. I probably need some, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So so, yeah. The guys, we're here to, today um, to do the podcast, and we've got a running order. Obviously, you can tell that it's a special episode today. Um, the great Barry yeah. Tomlinson. So we've got an interview coming up very soon. Uh, Bridges with um, us. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Oh, sorry, forgive me. Interrupting again. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that our regular listeners will notice a slight difference. Of course, you already know it's a special, but you know, some of the impressions are disappearing for this episode because obviously this is all about Barry uh, Tomlinson. So, uh, yeah, but they'll all be back next episode. Doc Cotton, Ronnie Corbett, a lot of them. Yeah, so if you could write in on the postcard to tell us if you do want the impressions back, that would be great. <laughs> Uh, we we love them and yes i say ridders isn't with us today but he'll be back next episode so we're looking forward to that yeah so running order for today's show is going to do some social media feedback from the last show um which is episode 65 we reckon it'd be 65 yeah yeah Yeah, even my math can do that one very good very good um then we're going to touch on the Giles Corrin article, uh, which was in the yeah. Times, that's that was um, that was unbelievable. That. Very exciting. Um, since we last recorded a podcast, then we're going to preview some upcoming episodes, um, some guests and features, and then of course we, then we're going to get around to the main purpose of today's show, and that's to introduce the interview with. Mr. Tomlinson, how's that sound, guys? Sound good? Can't wait. Also got a lot of pre-match nerves. <laughs> you'll, you'll be all right, isn't it? Wasn't it? Very high job as for goalpost. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I'll be normal now. Yeah. All I was going to say to that goal is if you think you've seen me as a fanboy before, you're not going to experience anything until today. <laughs> I think we're all fanboys tonight. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We are, we are. Not ladyboys. Anyway, so let's go <laughs> on. So the, the Christmas episode was episode 65, um, just as a, a recap, because it is almost a month ago. A long time mm. ago. Yeah. yeah. That was almost a year ago. <laughs> and um, it's a good 12 I, months. I did a review of the 1982 Christmas edition of the Rovers. Paul, you did part two, didn't you? 
Yeah, we Danfield United. Danfield yep. United. They just had a great result in their first leg match against the Kalveg, uh, the Norwegian champions. So, yeah. I know That's what awesome. happens, and I can't wait to hear what happens. Um, <laughs> we're we're looking forward to uh, yeah part three of that. And Ridders finished off his review of United when they took part in the Euro Mini Nation yeah. Cup campaign, and they won as well. So that yeah. was a great, yeah, that was brilliant, a great, great feature. So just going through some feedback on the Road Rovers Facebook site. Paul Cowling. Um, Evening. Said, Paul, here's Paul here. I don't know. <laughs> oh, um, is that your impression of Paul? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> he said that there was talk at the time that Race and Dando were lovers. <laughs> but he put that rumour to bed in his programme notes for the Boxing Day feature with Everpool. I'm pleased you said that because I'm not going to ask Barry that question. I'm not going to ask Barry that question either. <laughs> no. I think it's inappropriate, but also that's a very funny comment, Paul. I love that one. Great stuff. Um, Darren Smith says, and this is a really good early 80s reference, which would be, you know, in the sun or the mirror or something like that. He goes, Suzanne Dando for <laughs> <laughs> Just echoing what Goal normally says. Yes. Well, yeah, I'm still recovering from my uh, Roy Ray empties his sack joke. <laughs> God, why do I line him up for that every episode? <laughs> Thanks, Tangent. Oh, God. <laughs> and um, there was, yeah. Uh, let's have a look. Yeah, Charlie Doran said, um, I won't oh, use exactly the words he used, but he said that, um, yeah, there was a scary Royce scaring all the kiddies at Christmas. Yeah, it was a <laughs> bit of a scary face. I, I yeah, there was an element of that picture story, actually. I, I, you know what? It's one of those things really when someone mentions it that you go, yeah, actually, I see that. <laughs> and then, um, and Davy Swan liked the champ bit. So he had a kind of fingers up. Okay. He really enjoyed that piece. So well done, yep. Ridders, for that yeah. review. Yeah, and our friend of the show, Trevor Melvin, <sighs> he gave a, a fantastic review of it. Once again, um, you know, mentioning of Doc Cotton. What um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I thought you said she wasn't coming this episode, Gold. And, and do you remember? Well, you know, she's always in the green room. She never goes home, so I thought I'd invite her in. <laughs> she makes tea, doesn't she, for the guests? And there was a guest, uh, Paul, Paul Daniels was there, wasn't he? Paul yeah, Daniels. Paul Daniels, oh, but, you know, obviously he's gone home, um, but he, I don't know if he's gone home because he can't get past level two in the lift. There's <laughs> level 42 are in there. <laughs> at least they've gone down 40 levels <laughs> yeah so um yeah and um and trevor carries on he said that you know he loved he loves the um hearty helping of johnny dexter and hard man and the european yeah. odyssey and and we may well ask him well we are going to ask barry some questions aren't we around hard man so um yeah, yeah stay tuned looking for that trevor looking um, forward to all, asking him those that's all coming up and finally as um, Trevor says, there's a Ridders Retro Wonderland. Um, he, he really enjoyed the um, you know, the final instalment of United in their Simply nominations. having a Ridders no, Retro not, Wonderland. It's not Christmas, <laughs> Christmas no, I'm sorry. It's, it's not Christmas. No, I've said this before. I think it was brilliant. And I know Ridders have got lined up in the next one, which we'll, we'll go on after onto after the interview but it was brilliant to see readers do a review in the actual champ comics and uh hopefully we'll do some more of that yeah. in the future as well yeah, yeah absolutely so yeah so thank you for your feedback like like we say every episode we really do appreciate it and um please add comments 
to below this episode, wherever you see it, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook on one of the, the sites. Um, we'll give out the addresses later on in the show after the, the Barry interview. Also, chaps, something very exciting happened just before Christmas, and that was, I mean, I mentioned this in the, um, the previous this episode. Was incredible. That we've been in touch with Giles Corrin. Um, because in the 1982 edition, he had his letter printed uh, when he'd requested, um, he's requesting to the talking about them saying how many grounds or listing the grounds which QPR had actually had. And the letter was published on the 25th of December uh, episode of um, Where the Rovers. And I sent a picture to Giles uh, via X and just saying, look, do you remember this? And he was like, wow. You know, he, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't believe he was actually seeing it. So, like I said on the show, you know, we corresponded, and I've I, I sent him a co- copy of the actual copy of the comic, and he hadn't actually replied back at the time. But I, I dropped him another message, and he came back, and he'd, he'd been away for a few days, and yeah, he said that he's going to mention the article, uh, mention sorry the comic in in his article, and he did. So yeah. it was just kind of yeah, couldn't so believe it. In the times, in the yeah. times, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was amazing, you know, seeing that, and um, great, great, great to to see. And um, Giles has also said that he's he's willing to come on the podcast as well. So he's bang up for coming on. Um, be, yeah, really good, really looking so, forward to that. Uh, hopefully, yeah. So we'll, we'll look forward, to, we'll look forward to that, and we'll let you know, listeners, when that's when that's going to happen. It's it's it just shows you we know this anyway, but. You know the impact the Roy the Rovers comic and other football comics, but you know obviously particularly Roy the Rovers, I guess, had on you know people yeah. of a certain generation really growing up, and um, it still yeah. stays with them to this day. And you know, that's part of the reason we're so excited to actually have Barry on the show later on. So um, yeah, we were all incredibly excited about that. So that was that has, that's happened since the last show. And finally, let's just talk about some upcoming shows then. Um, we've got some guests coming on. Obviously, we've got Barry today, but then hopefully we, we'll, we're pretty sure, confident we're going to have Barry come on with friend of the show, David Skew, as well, <laughs> um, in a few weeks' time. So we're looking forward to that. In this we've all... episode, my God. Good I luck know. there, Barry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Barry and David together, eh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. We can't wait for Such that. Such a coup. Such mm. a coup for, for, for the listeners and the, and the podcast podcast itself it's just incredible you know yeah. they're reuniting really after decades it's it's a real treat and as you say if barry can get a word in edgeways then good luck to him as soon as i he'll have done well <laughs> but we've got some other features coming up as well haven't we chaps joe if you've got paul have you got some other, obviously you're finishing off the well, yeah, so obviously by, Chris, we'll... by Christmas this year, hopefully you'll finish. Well, well, <laughs> I'm not sure how the listeners feel about this. And I've alluded to it. I'm not sure how many parts it's going to be. But yes, we will be uh, continuing the Danefield um, European Cup run story. So really looking forward to picking that up again and uh, going through the next few rounds. I think there's probably going to be a, a minimum of two more parts, maybe three. But we, we shall see how we get on with that one. And I thought maybe as he as he's not, not here. Um, Ridders is a retro review. He's going to do the football picture story monthly. Um, I do apologize. I forget what edition, but it's called the challenge and it's quite topical. 
because it kind of um, looks at a, a Super League I- environment. So I don't want to spoil it too much for the, the, the listeners, but Ridders is going to look into that. And of course, with the recent news um, in the courts about UEFA and FIFA that's been decided, it's uh, really relevant. So I think that's going to be a, a really good uh, Ridders retro review there. Excellent stuff. Thank you. And Gal, what, what stuff have you got coming up? Yeah, well, I've got uh, um, the second part of my Spike section. Um, uh, a few episodes ago, I did issue one when uh, Charlie Barr signed um, for Darbury. Um, and I will follow that up with the final edition of Spike, which was episode uh, issue 65. Uh, and that is when Charlie signs for United. Um, and Joe Pearson appears in that edition, and it lines up with uh, issue 11 or 12 of Champ. So I'll be doing that one. I will be talking about Secret Wars again, uh, and, of course, Scream will come up. Um, uh, I've got a guest coming on. Uh, well, well, I've been promising that for about a year. But if we can line our times up, we'll have the guy that uh, is the webmaster of the Screen Files website, which I highly recommend you search out if you're a Screen fan. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Yeah, and, and just for myself, I know I'm going to. I've got a, a bio a bio piece on Duncan Mackay, um, which I'll which I'll be doing in future episodes, um, and I'm going to cover when Roy was shot as well at, at some point as well. So don't tell me what happened. <laughs> uh, well, he's he kind of given the game I a little bit away like, there, Gold, yeah. but I know what you mean. <laughs> he does get shot. Like, uh, yeah, I can't deny he does get shot. shot yeah. but, uh, anyway, anyway, that's, Just, that's, yeah. So, future episodes, but without further ado, the main piece of this episode is our interview with Barry Tomlinson. So, we're going to go over to that now. Well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the podcast the former editor of Tiger and group editor at IPC for Sports and Adventure, the famous, the one and only, the legendary Barry Tomlinson. Hi, Barry. Greetings. What an introduction. Thank you very much. Well, it's, it's, it's well deserved. Well deserved. Trust me. Um, yeah. So thank you for, for sharing your time with us. We've got a group of questions to to ask you and to go through. Um, but you've been on before, obviously. Um, you're on, it's come out to three years ago now. Um, episode six for listeners who haven't listened to it yet. Um, and on, on that episode, we touched on your, your whole career within the comic industry. What we're going to kind of do is just really focus on primarily Roy the Rovers really today. Um, but since you were on, back in well, April 2021. What have you been up to recently? Well, I've um, been writing my third book. The first two books I wrote were about the world of comics. The first one, as you know, was about Roy the Rovers, and the second one was about the other comics I edited. But this third book is my life story, what I did before, during, and after the world of comics. So it covers my time at school, my time in the police cadets, my two years national service, then the world of comics and what I did afterwards. So uh, 
it's a pathetic comprehensive thing and uh, written with some humor hopefully all i've got to do now is to find a publisher <laughs> oh right yeah well i mean that sounds fascinating stuff because yeah i mean I've, I've obviously got both the previous books so i mean that one will definitely add some further color to the story how's how's that getting on then finding the publisher clearly not yet but any not, good conversations not very, not very well no um when you write to a publisher, you probably know that, that they say, well, look, if you haven't heard within 16 weeks, we're not interested. So you send it off and you sit back and wait 16 weeks and nothing happens and you write <laughs> off to another one. And so it goes on. So um, all the contacts I used to have are faded away, unfortunately. So I'm having to start uh, fresh. So hopefully okay. someone somewhere will be interested. And if anybody's listening who knows a publisher, who is a publisher, well, my books are very much available. <laughs> Can I That's, ask, actually, Barry, sorry to interrupt, uh, uh, Matt, but I was wondering, maybe have you by any chance thought of contacting Rebellion themselves, you know, the, the publishers that have done the recent reboot of Roy? Yes, they're the first publisher I contacted, in yeah. fact, and uh, they did say no at that time, but I'm thinking of going back to them after, what, two or three years and say, look, yeah. maybe it's the right time now. And as you say, maybe maybe today's podcast might be an, the impetus for that and how fantastic that would be. I hope so. I won't pay you a commission, though. <laughs> it's almost like we have got David Skew back bit, on the show. That's a bit awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. You can take my money already. You know, wherever it's being sold, I'll buy it. Thank you very yeah. much. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I was going to say, there's definitely three people on this podcast that would purchase uh, that book, uh, Barry, and I think there's th thousands, well, certainly hundreds of others on the uh, Facebook uh, pages that uh, read all of our, our info and, and follow you on Twitter as well, I believe. So I'm sure there is a lot of interest out there. Yes, I'm very pleased the way my uh, Twitter or X account is going. Yes. I've got, what, 6,000 followers now. And it's fascinating to talk to people who used to read the comic and to get their views and their memories. And it's, it's very nice indeed to have those sort of conversations. It is. And, you know, I mean, I'm one of the ones that, as you know, follows you on there. And seeing some of the stuff you post on there, like you posted a lot of stuff over the Christmas period, um, some of the old... Um, comic front pages and and some of the stuff in your archives it's fantastic stuff you know particularly around i guess the Roy the rovers like from from when you first talking about creating a comic back in 76 you know when it's actually got the football paper it doesn't even mention Roy the rovers it says the football paper it's just it's just amazing stuff yes because at that time they'd asked me to produce a new football comic and no one had thought of calling it Roy the rovers and it was some weeks later, the idea came to me that, that that was the best way of doing it. Yeah, that's, well, that's great. And, and that leads me on to the question really on that is, you know, I mean, I suppose with hindsight and looking at the great success the actual comic was, it's almost like a no-brainer and almost like, well, you know, why wasn't it why wasn't it done? But it's but it must have been a bit of a risk at the time because Tiger was so, so popular. And Scorcher had just finished a couple of years before, which was football only. You know, those those first few weeks when you when you published were the Rovers, you know, that must have been quite a quite a, I don't know, not, not nerve wracking, but it must have been really interesting to see how it kind of took off. Can you remember those first few weeks? Yes, I was fairly confident that the Roy the Rovers title would do okay by itself. But the slight worry was what would happen to Tiger with the circulation of Tiger go down. 
when Roy disappeared out of that title. So to start with, we ran the Roy the Rover story in both comics and then gradually faded it out of Tiger. And in fact, it made no difference at all to the Tiger circulation. We had the new circulation on Roy, so it, it was a winner all the way. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. What about when when you when you're talking about the comic itself? Um, remember, can you and obviously the, the the process for choosing stories? Can you remember any stories which perhaps didn't make? Because obviously, over a period of time, the stories did change. Some were longer than others. Can you remember some stories that didn't make the cut? At the, at all? Yeah, I, I looked out today. Actually, um, the first thing I found was. Um, piece of paper marked the new football paper possible titles and there's a list of titles that we were considering and that was triumph soccer star star soccer champion winner football kick dynamite power and thunderbolt <laughs> and at that stage we hadn't thought of calling it roy the rover that came to me in a flash of inspiration a bit later on <laughs> and i also found a couple of stories that were part of the original idea, but we didn't actually get around to using them. One was a, a fairly topical story in some ways. It, it was a, a British footballer who suffered a number of mysterious blackouts on the field. Oh, wow. And a medical examination showed that he had a heart condition Gosh. and he was banned from playing football in Britain. But he changed his name, went to America and played in America with a new identity. That was a story called Banned for Life. That one didn't see the light. Wow. As you say, Barry, that's quite a, a amazing. Looking back all those years, that that, that was potentially going to be in a, what the, the first edition back in 1976. And as you say, what's happened recently, that's amazing. That's really relevant with a few things, um, unfortunate incidents, but thankfully the players are, have been okay. But yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. We always led the way with these ideas. Yes, yeah, of course. Yes. Cool. I, I, I got to say, in all honesty, Barry, I do think fact follows your fiction. <laughs> yes, I think we, we led the way. <laughs> and the other story, which wasn't used, was called Danny's Dream World. It was a Billy's boot story in a way. It was a boy who played for his school football team. But whenever he played for the school football team, he imagined he was playing for a first division club it was first division in those days yeah, of course. so we, we showed what he was thinking in the picture story and, and all the action that took place on the school football pitch we showed it in a big stadium in the first division wow <laughs> brilliant that is just absolutely brilliant <laughs> you know every youngster out playing football in the road imagines they're playing for you know a top club and scoring the winner in an FA Cup final and to actually, you know, have a storyline and see what he's daydreaming and see it that way. That is a that was a brilliant idea. Well as it says here in this um idea I talked out the synopsis, it said um there would be very good reader identifications with this story. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the dreaming would get him into trouble. So I think that would have been a, quite a popular one, but it was crowded out at the end of the day. Well, I mean, you, you did have eight strong stories to start off with the comic, didn't you? So it's it's difficult to choose, you know, I mean, you know, the, the Fantastic Millionaire Villa, you know, Smith and Son, you know, you go through them, the football, you know, 
we can all go yeah. for them because obviously we're big yeah. fans, but they're all strong stories. So yeah, I can you can understand that some strong ones were left on the side, so to speak. And um, and obviously we know that those came in over time. Um, it must have been really quite hard to choose, really. And and, and I suppose some of it is is you just try it and you see what the the lead the reader feedback is, and that's what you did so well, didn't you? Look, you you know got people to rate them out of ten and give their feedback. That was a fantastic idea. Yes, the rating out of 10 was very useful. But the readers really liked that idea because at school they were being marked out of 10 all the time for various things. <laughs> yes. So it was a chance for them to get their own back and mark us out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> i got to say, I think your story's always got higher marks than my school marks, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> Can I just about ask when... a question on, on those Go stories? On, yeah. Were they always just ideas that didn't come to fruition or did they ever actually go to artists and even get drawn like a couple of episodes drawn or were they just ideas that got shelved to the two didn't, i mentioned didn't, um, did, didn't get to the artwork stage no. right they were there in reserve but uh hmm. the idea just faded away and we came up with other ideas when we replaced yeah. stories yeah and, and when when stories when stories were pulled, I mean, that, that made me maybe some tricky conversations that went on with artists or writers. Was it was that a difficult thing to deal with, and was there much disgruntlement at all? Well, it was always based on the votes we got from the readers. Yeah. If a story went down to the bottom of the chart, then I would drop it. It wouldn't be my decision; it would be the reader's decision. Yeah. So we always kept them happy. But it was a difficult thing when you decided to drop a story after after quite a long time. Going, going back to Tiger, um, the story Skid Solo and Tiger, which ran for years and years and yeah. years. And I knew the artist and the writer very well. And uh, I had to break the news to them. And that was one of the most difficult decisions I had to make. Not so much for the writer, because writers can write scripts fairly quickly, fairly easily, but an artist, it's a week's work to yeah. do one instalment of a story like Skid Solo. So it was particularly a difficult decision, but uh, once we decided to chop a story, then I did my best to make sure that we gave the contributors other works on other yeah. titles. Yeah, sure. And, and you can, we can see that, can't we? Because we know that through you know our knowledge and research that it was the same the same artists were kind of moving around and working different different stories and different publications weren't they so yeah, hopefully we, they could pick up we, we had some very very good artists looking back now we had the, the best of the best mm -hmm. and the same with the writers we had very good freelance teams of contributors and as an editor i was very lucky to have those people working for me yeah definitely yeah definitely just, you know, just and that's why, i just may mention that's why you know nowadays it's still remembered still loved you know part of the terminology of football really um you know and it it wasn't one of those little comics or strips that just faded away it's part of part of the lexicon now isn't it and uh yeah yes, yes very much so i mean we are always over stuff is a phrase you still hear mentioned quite frequently. Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's an incredible legacy, isn't it? It really is. Thinking about the design of the comic, what, what I've realised is that 
the running order wasn't always the same, was it? You know, I mean, obviously Roy would be in the, the center pages color spread. Um, but was that was that a purpose thing that sometimes some stories would be at the front of the or towards the front of the comic and some to be towards the back? Or did you notice that the more popular ones would be towards the back? Was there any sort of analysis done on that or? No, I just wanted to make each issue look very fresh. So oh. repositioning the stories gave a different look to each issue. It wasn't done in ways of popularity or anything like that. It was just the fact that I wanted to vary the look of the comic from week to week. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and I see it. some some stories would be say two and a half pages. Say like the Hard Man, for example, Tommy's Troubles, typically. Um, but others would be just the two pages. Was that, again? Was that done purposely sometimes to? Maybe like a new story, you might give it two and a half to give it a bit more breadth, a bit more length to get the new characters over. Or was it, was it just literally what we can fit into the comic? It was really what the artist could do within a week. Some artists oh. could manage two pages quite easily. Some could do two and a half. Oh, of on course. rare occasions, they could do three pages a week. But yeah. when you consider that the artwork was drawn twice the size it appears in the comic, yeah. a lot of work goes into a page of artwork. And uh, to get an artist to do three pages, plus other work he might be doing, it was quite difficult. So there weren't that many stories that were three pages. Quite often it were two or two and a half. Yeah. And uh, if a, a popular story was worth more space, then I would consult with the artist to see if he could manage it or not. And, I mean, yeah, you saying that around the artist and you know, how much work, I mean, obviously, you know, Dave Skew is a big friend of the show. Um, he's been on the podcast a few times and, you yeah, hearing from him firsthand how much work went into it, you, I can kind of see that. It was a huge amount, huge undertaking of work and sometimes he said to be up against deadlines and, you know, it's tough going, wasn't it, for some of those guys? Yes, I had to be the tough guy quite often and make telephone calls to artists who were running a little bit late. Yeah, of course. I had the reputation of never sending a page of artwork late to the printer. And I was very proud of that record. And uh, that record stayed until I produced Scream, which was another story and had lots of problems. And that was late going to the printer, but certainly Roy Rovers, Tiger, no problem at all. Um, we got there on time. Um, when I chat with you and with David Skew, we can talk about his excuses for being slightly, <laughs> he was the king I'm of not sure. excuses. I was going to say, Barry, I'm not sure we'd have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 704 is lined up then. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, yeah, making my note for Mr. Skew when he turns up um, to ask him that question. I think um, I might have mentioned in a previous interview with you that I'm a huge, huge fan of Screen. And uh, I, I may touch upon um, some questions on that um, when you return, if that's okay, because I've just recently managed to get all of the issues after all, and they, they, they really sell at a high price. So I'm so proud that I've managed to get all of the the, the issues. But yeah, we'll, I'll, we'll come back to that in the future. Well, that's very good. I'm glad you got all those. There's a, um, a publication coming out later this year, which will feature all the stories that were in Scream. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> like I said, oh, I've done, I've done the now, introduction. 
Right. But you've got the originals. That that's more. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah, I've got the originals. I've I've got the the you know the collected works. I've got you know when it's when it then came back in uh, Eagle, so on and so forth. I won't bore you. Let's get back to the to Matt's questions. <laughs> I apologise. <laughs> yeah, just a couple. Just a couple, thanks, Gold. Just a couple more from me. Yeah. Barry, then I'll um, pass you on to Gold to ask some questions. Um, looking back, and when you read. Like the message from Roy, you were very honest with readers. When you think, you know, readers, we 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 were about 11, 12, but you're very honest around commerciality, weren't you? About publication costs going up and stuff like that. If you had to put up the price and 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 also around circulation, there's, you know, looking back through the comics as a, as an adult, you see there's lots around trying to push the subscriptions, you know, because you knew that was really good for the, for the comic because then news agents would order them in. Did that come? Did that really come from yourself, or were you feeling like pressure from above to kind of drive those circulation figures? Or was it just you being ambitious for the comic to do well? It, it was the latter, me being ambitious for the comic to do well. I was very frustrated that the comic print orders went down every week, and as an editor, I refused to believe that we lost readers every issue. Yeah. But when the print orders were done, and us editorial folk weren't involved in print order. There was another department that did that. They were every single week they would cut the circulation by about a thousand copies. Wow. When we had a free gift issue, we'd put on probably five to eight thousand copies extra for that gift wow. issue. But then they would cut the print order for the following issue right back before they knew what the reaction was. And that was a very frustrating thing for editorial people to not being able to get involved in that part of it. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can really interesting. Yeah. Especially when you're working with all the collaborators and contributors working so hard and then you're yes. having that lack of control, yeah. IPC Magazine was a very big organisation. At that time, it was the largest publishing company in Europe. And there was a department for everything. And us editorial folk had to just stick with the editorial and not get involved with printers or print orders or other things. Um, I actually broke the rules once. I wasn't very happy with the quality of printing we were getting in Tiger and Roy the Rovers at that time. And I got in touch with the managing director of the printing company and had a moan at him. He yeah. said, look, if things don't improve, you're going to lose these titles. So he said, well, I'll come down to London, we'll go to lunch, and we'll discuss it. So we went to a very smart restaurant. He bought me a lunch. And to my horror, on the next table was the head of the department, which dealt with printers. <laughs> <laughs> and that afternoon, I was called into my boss, um, who had with him the guy I'd seen on the restaurant, and I, I was lectured very, very strongly that it was not my job wow. to get involved with printers, which Blimey. is daft, really. Yeah, it, absolutely, absolutely. Because you only had the, you know, it's it was the, you you were just thinking about the comics at the time. You were just thinking about those, weren't you? Yet you were kind of yeah, yeah wrapped across the knuckles for doing but, the right uh, thing. Yeah, but as I say, department for everything there. Right, <laughs> it's very hierarchical that kind of structure. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. Okay, and so, so final question, and then we'll move on to goal. Obviously, DC Thompson, another major name as well as IPC, 
in the comic world. Um, and well, the podcast is called Champ. We are united and Champ is obviously a DC Thompson comic. Um, were there any things which you obviously looked at that DC Thompson were doing or did you feel that DC Thompson were copying what you were doing at IPC? I, I suppose it's easy for you to answer that in the particular time you were editor and group editor there. I kept a very close eye on the circulation figures for the DC Thompson comics. Sure. But I didn't look at them at all. Uh, I, I, my policy was, I'm not looking at those comics at all. I don't want to take any ideas from them. I want to create my own ideas. And if they want to take any ideas from me, well, okay, fine. But I didn't look at any issues at all. And uh, that was the policy I kept going all the way through the time I was editing. It was, I wanted people to look at my titles. I didn't want to look at other people's. That might sound strange, but that, that's what I did. I mean, no, it doesn't really. When I think, when I think back, and I don't know, guys, Paul and Gold, what you think? When you think about DC Thompson, what they would have been doing in the seventies, you know, they weren't doing anything like Roy the Rovers or Tiger. It's probably no. what they were probably trying to copy themselves or hmm. plagiarize when they're bringing out the likes of Champ and Rio United later on, really. I've got to say, it was interesting for me. I mean, at the time when I was, you know, as a, a youngster getting my copy of Roy the Rovers, initially my dad and then my grandparents used to get it for me. I used to go there every weekend and they had one of those subscriptions. I wasn't really reading the DC Thompsons. I came to those uh, much later. Champ, I did discover at the time. But it is interesting when I think about it and I read, you know, th there were quite differences. And I do see, as Barry said, I could, kind of feel like things like the goals of Jimmy Grant later on in the DC Thompson world. I think that was trying to tap into like a, a Roy the Rovers type world. Yeah. But I think what Barry said there, I think it's great. I think there's merit in both. It's come as quite a surprise to me to hear you say that you didn't read them. But actually, yeah, I, I understand why and I can see that and you could see a, a difference. But I think for us as readers, although I wasn't reading them at the time, I think that's great because I think we got different different worlds as well to to, mm. you know, escape into. Yes, I mean, DC Thompson were much better at marketing than we were at Fleetway. Right. That was another frustrating thing, seeing the amount of merchandising they were doing, and we weren't doing anything. But once again, it wasn't my job to to organise that. Yeah, but then I suppose the, the strength you had, and I know we're not going to touch on this now, but we have done it in the past, and in your books, you know, you cover it as, you know, you were basically a PR genius, weren't you? Because you managed to get lots of publicity, virtually very minimal spend. But you did yes, that off your own back, didn't you, really? You know, yes. So, um, I went to management. I said, can't we advertise our titles much more? And they said, well, there's no money for advertising. So I decided to do my own advertising, did a little bit of PR, and it proved to be very successful. And I found I had a knack for getting stories into the media about the comics and that seemed to work very well yeah so, I, I would would say actually you've mentioned your two books out there and reading the real roy the rovers uh stuff book that you've released i'm not sure if it's still out there if anybody hasn't got it and you want to hear about those exploits they're brilliant to read and they're covered in that book really well barry and i i thoroughly enjoyed uh reading how you got in touch with so many of these uh football stars and other celebrities as well it was a wonderful thing to edit Tiger and Roy the Rovers because they had a good reputation. Um, but even 
people even even before I became editor they had this great reputation and uh, I found I could go to people and mention Tiger Board the Rovers and they'd be quite happy to do things for us which perhaps they wouldn't want to do for a national newspaper yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, open doors isn't it the open doors mm. yeah for sure okay yeah. thank you Goal. so I'll pass over to you a few questions to ask about the hard man yeah um uh, the Hard Man was one of my favourite stories in the comic, and uh, I've oh, got I like a few you. questions. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I should have uh, asked those ones. Is yeah. the, check in, the, the check in the post. Um, <laughs> I've got a, 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 a. The first question is sort of uh, three separate questions, so I, it, I'll uh, I'll just uh, try and explain them as best I can. So you wrote The Hard Man, of course, yourself. Talk us through the writing process and where did you get the inspiration for Johnny Dexter? And also a, a, a third question there, who designed the kit and was it purposely based on the Ajax kit? Well, um, well, first of all, when I was doing the ideas for all the stories in the first issue of Roy the Rovers, I wanted to have a a tough defender in one of the stories. Of course, we were doing stories about goalkeepers, about strikers, but I wanted to have a big, tough defender. And I suppose in the way I was thinking of like someone like Norman Hunter is a yeah. sort of character. Yeah. And when we started your legs. Hard Man... Sorry? Bite your legs, wasn't it? Norman Hunter, bite your legs. Norman, yes, bite indeed. your legs, Hunter. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. don't think Johnny Dexter ever did that, but still. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so we had this story, I had the idea for this, story about a big tough defender and I wrote it and it seemed to work reasonably well but it wasn't until the manager Victor Boscovic came into the story that it really seemed to come alive so um, how I would, I would plan the story would be I, I would have a vague idea what each installment would be about and I'd write down 1 to 16 or 1 to 25, whatever number of frames there were in the instalment, and just scribble one sentence against each frame so that it would give me some idea how the story would work out. Then I'd start to write the story um, to expand my one sentence thing into a, a frame description for the artist and do the dialogue. And it always seemed to follow the pattern that I planned. But once Victor Boscovic came into the story, it went off at tangents as I was writing it. And I thought, well, that's going well. And then I'd, I'd concentrate on Victor more, perhaps more than Johnny Dexter. And eventually Victor seemed to take over the story. And if we didn't do anything to the popularity of the story, it increased it, I think, because people really liked that character. And once again, we were paving the way by bringing a foreign man manager into British football. Mm. And uh, in this story, it worked really well. Yeah. And of I course, I had to say that because Victor would be in there and he'd be <laughs> kicking me or pinching my nose. Yeah, or exactly. <laughs> but of course, Victor then, you know, was in Dexter's Dozen, The Terrible Twins. He was a beloved character, a, a beloved character and a hated character at the same time, <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, get, getting angry every week, you know. Yeah. Yes, a, a few readers complained about his attitude. So, I did a, a big vote one week that readers could decide if Victor should stay in the story or disappear. I remember that. And yeah. They, they yeah. voted in favour of Victor staying, so that was okay. 
And that's your, your, you know, your seal of approval right there from the readers, isn't it? Oh, yes. It's always down to the readers. Yeah. We, we've kind of touched on the Victor character and we're kind of running a thing in our podcast, which I'm doing is the Danefield United run in the European Cup. And it's actually in that storyline when that, that vote took place. And we sort of say about Victor, we call him, he's, he's a bit like Marmite. You either love him or you hate him. But I think most people did love him. But the other thing is as well, which we really do, all his antics, you know, as he often, you got him to, in the panels, talk to us as the reader. It was all an act just to try and get the most out of his players, right? And what was right for Danefield. Oh, yes, very much so, yes. And the way he was drawn by Doug Maxton, yeah. the artist, really added to the character. Yeah. And that inspired me when I was doing the scripts because I knew what he would look like and how he'd visually be in the story. And uh, that helped me to write the scripts. Yeah. You mentioned, Doug there. you mentioned Doug there, didn't you? Uh, just going back to the, one of the questions I mentioned earlier, um, uh, was, it, was it him that designed the kit oh, and was it purposely based on Ajax? No, it wasn't based on, on any particular team. Um, I'm not quite sure whether Doug Max did the artist, designed it himself or I gave him an idea for it, but it certainly wasn't based on any, on any living team, so to speak. But to me, it was an iconic strip. I mean, if yeah, oh, you know, it's just purely sure. coincidental that it it's, it looks like the Ajax kit. But to me, it's always Danefield United, and that's the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, maybe we came first. I'm not sure. <laughs> Everyone copies Roy the Rovers. The Roy the yeah, Rovers. Exactly. Everything comes from that. Even the storyline where there was goal line technology in you know, <laughs> in a summer tour, I think. I mean, that was decades before VAR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but anyway. a lot of, lot of things which people sort of poo-pooed at the time when we had the earthquake in Melchester and yeah. Rovers were playing all their matches at Wembley. People said, that's ridiculous, that will never happen. <laughs> sure enough, a few years later, it did yeah. happen. Yes, right. yeah. Well, in all fair, yeah, I mean, you had Arsenal played their Champions League games there. And then, of course, Tottenham, when their stadium was being um, uh, yeah. rebuilt. So amazing. Yeah, you're right. That did seem crazy at the time. They yeah, must have been by the Rovers readers. Yes. <laughs> it's probably where they got the idea from, Barry. Yes. <laughs> An interesting fact that was covered in the Roy Race talking at the time of that storyline um, seeing as the others have mentioned, you know, Wembley uh, League games. Interestingly, in 1931, the only team to have ever played their league games at Wembley was Leighton Orient, who had to go there after complaints of safety from my team, Torquay United. Now, it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't mention Torquay United, but that's a fascinating fact. Well, yeah. that's amazing. We were second then, not first. <laughs> but it, it was, you know, it was mentioned in the Talkins, so that's where I learned that fact, and it stayed with me ever since. Wow. The Talkins get... were great, yeah, were a great feature, weren't they? They were excellent. Yeah, they were. Uh, okay. Uh, for ongoing storylines, did you bounce ideas off others or just purely go with what came in your head? I was very conceited, I suppose, and did it all myself. I didn't bounce my story ideas off other people at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just sat down and wrote them, and uh, it was the readers who judged the storyline. Of course. Anybody else. So, uh, no, I, I was uh, perhaps supremely confident at the time that I could produce stories which were popular. 
the the man, the legend, Barry Tomlinson, and he's on the podcast. <laughs> I can't believe it. So, and I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> I've got a few more, uh, quick questions. Um, how long in advance did you have the storylines planned out? Um, and would you insert other things ad hoc as it went on, or or just as it was planned out? Well, I'd have a meeting with the writers in some cases once a year or in the case of Roy the Rovers it would be two or three times a year and we'd sit down uh, Tom Tully and myself would sit down and discuss what was going to happen on the pitch and off the pitch we'd have to decide which competition we were going to concentrate on on the pitch and what antics Roy would get up to off the pitch and uh, it, it became a bit of a soap opera off the pitch with yes. true to life action on the pitch, and uh, Tom and myself would sit down, as I probably mentioned to you before, we'd sit down in the office in the morning for a couple of hours, then we'd go to lunch for maybe two or three hours and continue our conversations over lunch and a bottle of wine, and in Tom's case, a brandy and a cigar, <laughs> and uh, then go back to the office again late afternoon and finish off, and it would be a very enjoyable day, but a very productive day. We were on the same wavelength from what was needed in the Roy the Rover story. And uh, that seemed to work very well, that relationship. I've got to say, it sounds like an absolutely utopian world to me. Going for a lovely lunch like that and getting to talk about comic books. Yeah, fantastic. And story. I had a very good expense account. I was very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. I mean, uh, I know we we touch upon this regularly on our podcast, and I know the listeners can't can't see this, but you can, Barry, as you can see, Paul there has everything ever <laughs> in the comic <laughs> world collected. You can only yes, see I'm, the having, I'm having a good look there. on what's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a. Uh... No, unfortunately, you can't see all of them. Unfortunately, my uh, early tigers, they're too big for my display cases. So they're in a box just down there. But I've got every edition of Roy the Rovers. I'm trying to get all the t all the tigers as well. And uh, yeah, I've got quite a few of the old, uh, some of the DC Thompson titles as well. So yeah, That's brilliant, brilliant. I shall uh, finish off with two more questions and then hand over to Paul for his questions. Real Grandpala. Now, I loved that era as well. Mm, and this is quite a talking favorites. point that, that we bring up in the podcast a lot. It, what were their colours? What was the strip <laughs> colours? Do, 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 you, do you remember? No. <laughs> it's, a, it's an eternal thing then. We will yeah. never know. Yeah, I, I should remember all these things, but... Some items I can think of very clearly and other items are fading. The thing is, the thing is Barry, the, the, the reason why we ask the question is because they're yeah. never in colour. So, yeah. so, so, yeah, you probably don't even remember because there never actually was a colour. So, I, if that makes sense. Hmm. They were always in black and white, weren't they, Rian of Grand Parlour? Yeah, were they ever on the cover? I must be not. No, tr trust ah. me, we have looked. Oh, <laughs> I've gone through my complete collection. <laughs> and it's quite funny because the, the the famous cover is when Johnny originally signs for El Gran Parlour and he's on the cover, but he's in plain clothes being greeted yeah. by the, the by the Spanish press. And trust me, it's one of those um, questions that's always asked on, on the Facebook, on, on the, the yeah. Facebook pages and yeah. things. And yeah, it's... Uh, but I, I think I think there's a, an element. It's great that it's always going to be shrouded in some mystery, right? Right. So <laughs> yeah, I you can imagine it, how it was. 
Green and white, because no one would know. <laughs> exactly. No, we would take your word as gospel, Barry. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Well, green and white. Green and white. Fantastic. <laughs> So everything going forward in the next 50 years, any researcher will, will now know that we made it up. <laughs> uh, my final questions are, um, Johnny moved quite early on in the storyline to um, Real Grandpala. Did you ever think of leaving him there longer? And also, can you remember, I know you touched earlier on about um, storyline um, uh, strips that didn't make the cut but can you remember any storylines that didn't make the cut if there were any in the hard man not really because it would be, be, be myself who thought them up and uh, <laughs> yeah and it'd be yourself be telling yourself it's no good yeah. Yeah, there'd, be nobody to, there'd be nobody to cut them but I think <laughs> The grandpa's story wasn't going as smoothly as the Danefield story did, so I don't think I um, kept him there too long. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's um, that, that's fair enough. But uh, yeah, I love the whole series. So uh, you know, whether it was Danefield, Real, Grandpa, whether he was at you know Burnside Athletic in Dexter's Dozen. Oh, I loved it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, can I just mention one thing before I hand over to Paul that sticks in my mind? Um, one of my favourite, if you can call it that, moments in the whole strip was, this sounds a bit negative, but you'll understand me in a second. There was a fire at Danefield's ground and very soon after, maybe the match after, uh, a floodlight collapsed down onto the pitch having been weakened from the fire. And I, it was a full whole one-page um, artwork of it coming down. And it still sticks, you know, sticks with me in my, in my, in my brain. I, I'll never forget that. It was one of my favourite moments. <laughs> I must be evil, to be honest. But, yeah, I, <laughs> yes, I, I loved that. I can remember that very clearly, um, that storyline. Uh, visually, again, Doug Max did, produced it really well. Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, because there was the there was the fear in the players. You could actually see that it was coming down. Obviously, you didn't see it come down on the players, but it was. They were looking up, and it was coming down on the players. Uh, oh, I never forget that moment. So, yeah, thank you to both of you. Oh, I'm glad we we we've created something which you remember so clearly. Of course, no, no one real life football club was copied that yet. I don't think. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Still, still out on the out on the lead on that one, Barry. There's still time. <laughs> with, with climate change, you know, you never know. But that's my questions. Thank you, thank you, Barry. Um, I, I, thank I, you I, very much. I, I love the hard man, and I'm very happy that you answered those. Over to you, Paul. Cheers, Gold. Thanks very much. Well, I'm not sure you can necessarily enjoy these questions so so much. They're more about Roy and kind of they also centre really around the time of the, you know, that he's moved to Walford Rovers. So we were wondering um, when that story developed, when you were obviously discussed that, was it always, you know, you always knew that he was going to return to Melchester? I mean, was, or did it just develop in that in that way? No, I always knew that he'd go back and go back fairly quickly. It, as I said before, that uh, it was fortunate he went to a team called Rovers, otherwise, <laughs> yeah. Roy of yeah. United yeah. and Roy of City. <laughs> yeah. so we had to make sure that uh, 
I think in the early days, Wolford was just called Wolford. Yes. So slowly introduced the Rovers right. into it, so uh, mm -hmm. it oh. would fit in okay. Yeah, it's funny actually. When Goal was talking about the hard man and and the kit, I remember because the stories of the hard man were in in the editions were were black and white. And I remember that first cover when I saw my first cover of Danefield being really stuck. You know, oh my gosh, look at the you know, the, the red and white. And you saying that as well actually it was one of those weird ones when Roy did sign. I was thinking, oh, I never remember Wolford were Wolford Rovers. I only knew them as Wolford. <laughs> <laughs> now we sneak that in very quietly, oh, very crafty. And of course, uh, sorry to interrupt, Paul, uh, an interesting fact that we've mentioned before in a podcast. And and of course, you were first again, extended, ended up using the name Walford. Now that, yes. you know, I've done my research and they claim that it's an amalgamation of two different parts of London to make Walford. But it's no coincidence that a year after Walford was a major storyline that, come on, you know, EastEnders used the Wolford name. I'm a big Wolford fan, so you know, I, I, it's 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 Roy the Rovers for me, not Eastenders. <laughs> Once that again, they must have, they must Sorry. have been readers. <laughs> Exactly. Do you, know, do you know something, Barry? You didn't read DC Thompson or these other people, but they were all reading your work and taking all these things from you. <laughs> I think. So my next, my my next, my next question is probably kind of already answered with that first one but because it leads into this but we were wondering you know during the time then that Roy was at Wolford you know we found out what was going on at Melchester through the Roy story we were wondering did you guys ever think in that period of time of actually having a, a separate um, story on Melchester Rovers I mean at that time there was actually the the apprentices story anyway but of course that was the, the Melchester youth team no we never thought about uh, having two separate stories there we knew that Wolf would only be a short series of stories. And uh, once again, they got some uh, some good media coverage of him yeah. going to Wolford mm -hmm. and again, him going back. So mm. it didn't interfere with the storyline at all, but he got us good publicity. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, and it's one of those weird, weird ones, and like Gold said there, he's a Wolf, Wolford fan. But, I mean, for all the great stories that you did do over the years, obviously when, when Roy got shot and the relegation and, and obviously the countless trophies um, uh, won and stuff, but the, the, you, you brought him to life, but the fact that he did actually move to Wolford as well, for me, really made it feel uh, like a, a, a real story. Yes, he had had a fallout with the chairman of Melchester. Um, so that's really the main reason he left Melchester. But then the chairman was changed. And of course, eventually we had Geoffrey Boycott coming in as chairman. Yeah. And Geoffrey and Roy got on very well. So that was fine. He was going to stay at Melchester permanently then. Yeah. Well, my third question then I think again you've really kind of answered and I this funnily enough this comes from my granddad I remember I don't know whether he was trying to wind me up or, or something but they used to get my Roy the Rovers for me and obviously Roy had left and of course we saw Rob Richards break into the uh, Melchester team and my granddad said that he'd read a newspaper article suggesting that actually that the, the publication was going to be rebranded and it was going to become Rob of the Rovers. Was that just something put out or do you have any recollection of any rumours to that fact? Or No, I've got nothing at all about that at yeah. all. I mean, we could have had an extra comic, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah well, I'd have read it. <laughs> <laughs> Your granddad. Yeah. 
yeah <laughs> my granddad was a very mischievous gentleman so i i think maybe oh, that's right. where that that, that had came very from. good taste that by buying the comics Yes, yes, definitely. Well, we've always we've always joked on here, as I said, um, never quite known. But uh, I've always wondered if my granddad actually read the copies before I got my hands on them. <laughs> yeah, that was something I really liked. I want the dads and the granddads to read the copy and be fans of the comic. So they're quite happy to have it included with the morning newspaper delivery. So get dad on your side or granddad. That was a, one of the secrets of a successful comic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm known for this. I'm going to go off on a slight tangent, but um, people that listen to the podcast know I've mentioned this. But my my dad, I got my first edition of Royal Rovers, and my dad was going to the barbers, and I think he just purchased this comic to give to me so that I sat quietly in in the barbers, and I could obviously see that I was uh, taken by it. But the other side of it was I was really, as a youngster, struggling to read, and books just didn't interest me, and I didn't understand why people would read, and I was very lazy. But with the pictures and the comic, the, the stories, honestly, it, Roy the Rovers really for me is so special because it's what helped me and started me really reading. So, you know. Well, that's good to know. That's, that's, that's very rewarding to know that. We had lots of letters from teachers saying to them they were so pleased that they were reading these comics because they're very much a, a teacher by or parent by. And uh, teachers were enthusiastic that, that, that the children read something. If they read comics, that was a start. Yeah, and I, I can honestly say for me, and I think that's, as you said, my dad saw, my dad's not interested in football at all, but he could obviously see that, that the effect the comic had on me and that, that then it certainly became a weekly purchase. And as I say, many years later, then my, my grandparents took up the reins and got it for me. So That's brilliant. And it just goes to show how much part of our lives that all of these things have become. I know we're supposed to be interviewing you, Barry, but... <laughs> <laughs> of our anecdotes and our memories. And it's because they're so important to us. And, and you know, and we reminisce about them. And here we are, you know, we're on, we're on over 60 podcast episodes because of our love of, of Roy of the Rovers and Champ and all of the others. You know, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be able to interview you. Well, I spoke to Roy about this, and he's over the moon, of course, that you were doing all these features on the comic. Oh, but don't. My heart went funny then. That's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Could, 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 I mean, and it's, it's great to hear that, but can you just ask him to reply to some of my emails, please? Because he's, he's a bit slow in getting back. <laughs> Uh, brilliant. I, I think Matt might have pre-warned you on this, and I'm not sure you've got an answer for this, but this is kind of my uh, last question. We're going to, in March 1979, we're really testing your memory. I think, <laughs> I think maybe sometimes. Yeah. So in March 79, Rovers ran out in a plain white strip, and the reason was given from Roy that the crowd to the crowd that it was a temporary uh, one until they found a sponsor and designed a new kit. And a few weeks later, that the normal strip came back, but then the strip wasn't changed until 1981 where the goal of strip was launched. The plan at the time to introduce the new strip then, or was was that the reason? Or was, can you remember what was behind the white strip? I can't remember. I think um, it could be one of two things. It could be the fact that I was advertising the fact that the voice strip was available. Ah, right, yeah, use of clever, that. yeah. Or it may have been, of course, we were trying to save money by reducing printing costs by using the <laughs> Just the white, yes. Yeah. 
is funny. I tell you what, Barry, I prefer the first answer to that, but the second answer is great as well. But yeah. Yes, and I what I love that. about that is the second answer from something that happened in the 70s <laughs> was just because maybe we're saving on printing costs. It's a question now in 2024. Yeah. Just uh, so, sorry, Matt, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to go off oh, okay, go list a little bit. But obviously, as you then alluded to, how, how did the Gola, Gola um, sponsorship come about? Um, it came about because one of the directors at Freeway, his brother worked for Gola, and he introduced me to him, and we discussed how, how Gola could be featured on the boy strip, and uh, how we would redesign the strip, which was disappointing in a way, because the strip that Melchester were using at the time was one I designed, and it seemed mm -hmm. to be going well. Mm -hmm. But they wanted a completely new look to the strip uh, with Gola on the front. And of course, we had the great problem then of people complaining about below the line advertising for children. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Questions in Parliament. <laughs> Amazing. And eventually, the directors at Freebay decided that Gola had to come off the shirts. Oh, wow. Even oh, that was all... the reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was frustrating because all the big football teams were having sponsored yeah, exactly. shirts. So we had to take it off and just run the go with a strip without the word go on, which they weren't very happy about and I wasn't very happy about. Oh, wow. do, you know, do you know something, Barry? I was never, I just assumed that the sponsorship for some reason, Gola just actually stopped the sponsorship. I didn't realize that that was the reason that he was removed from the strip. No, they were very keen that uh, it should carry on. Wow. I mean, I have to say, it's very interesting for for all of us years later. I mean, again, that's another cover that I always remember. When I saw that Gola strip, I must admit, it, it really did blow me away. But it's amazing wow. as I've got older, you know, the strip you designed with the, the yellow stripe down the side. I've I've even had my Sunday football team, which we got that done. Uh, oh, not obviously, excellent. you know, because we, we had played in those colours. So we used that. And many years later, Wales played in a very similar um strip as well so i've been thinking both those strips are very iconic for all, for all of us fans yes very much so yes and it's a shame we had to stop the go to one because it didn't look right to have shirts with no name no. on the front no that's right no. that's right again it was a, another one of those moments that really made the story feel feel real actually mm, absolutely yeah, yeah we, we wanted to make it look real and uh having a name on the front was something important but the powers well, that we decided not. Well, I never managed to get one as a youngster, but many years later, as an adult, unfortunately, it's upstairs, so I can't show it to you, but Gola actually opened a, a shop on Carnaby Street. When they initially um, opened that store for, for a period of time, they had the Melchester Rovers um, top in there, and I did purchase one for myself. So that's oh. part of my wider Royal the Rovers collection. <laughs> Brilliant. I haven't got one. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't get one. I've got the Nike strip. Right, yeah. I haven't got the Golden one for some reason. I missed out there. Wow, I can't believe it. I've got something Roy the Rovers that even the great legend Barry Tomlinson doesn't have. <laughs> I should have kept a lot more things. Had I yeah, known I can interest, how much interest there would be after all these years, I would have kept a lot, lot more. 
And when I was editing, I would have grabbed things in the office and hidden them away at home so that I could have them for 80 years. But I never realised. I haven't even got a copy, a typewritten copy of a script I wrote. And I wrote thousands of scripts. Wow, yeah. And I got a single one. Wow. Yeah, that that really is a shame. That really is. That breaks my heart, actually, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Chris. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, that, that's all my, my questions. Obviously, you know me, Matt. I went off on a couple of tangents, but I managed to keep keep most of it in check. But I'll hand back to you. Okay, that's great. Thanks thanks a lot, Paul. And yeah, Barry, just, just a few more, really. Um, yes, so the annuals, obviously, every year, you know, the, the clues in the title, there's an annual. Um, <laughs> what, what, how important were they to, to like the, the sports and adventure group you know the ipc group you know compared to the weekly comics i'm thinking kind of revenue wise because obviously there's different teams working on them but, you know how much work went into them and yeah how how important i guess from you from you in your role as an editor how much emphasis did you put on the annuals well when, when i first went to fleetway as a sub editor there was a, a separate department for annuals they were <laughs> produced by this department uh, away from the weekly comics and quite often the annuals didn't bear that much resemblance to the weekly comics, but eventually they decided that uh, the editorial staff would produce annuals as well as the weekly comic. And, right. and that, I think, gave us better annuals because they reflected what was in the weekly comic. Now, how much money the annuals made, I don't know. Separate department. Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> we, we wouldn't know. Um, we had to start work on the annuals very, very early, in midsummer, probably, or late spring. It was a chance for us to try out new contributors because most of the artists were fully booked during the weekly comics. So we brought in some, it was a chance to look at new artists and perhaps new writers. So they were an important thing to the readers, I think. They were obviously important to the publishers because the annuals kept going a long time. Sometimes if a title stopped, yeah. going, then the annual would carry on. That would partly be because the annual had already been produced. Um, oh, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I never thought about it like that. Hmm. That sometimes you would see story, you know, stories returning in an annual that had stopped in the, in the weekly strip, but of course pre-planned. Yeah, and sometimes if a title disappeared very quickly, there'd be artwork left over, which you could oh, put wow. into an annual. Oh, interesting. Yeah, nice. No, so it's definitely interesting when you look back, as we do, well, every single week, um, <laughs> as because we like to do it, and you, you contrast, compare, and contrast the annuals to to the weekly comics, and and you see stuff which is yeah. Like you say we almost play a game of guessing who the artist is because it's not the usual artist, particularly for the, the Roy story. Um, and and there's new characters who are introduced sometimes in annuals which don't actually come into the comics as well. And it's 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 fascinating for us as as kind of comic geeks, 40, 40 odd years later to kind of see all the difference. But it's 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 interesting how it's yeah part of that world, part of that world, that Roy the Rover's world. Yes, I think in the later stages, the annual covers reflected what was in the weekly comic much more than the sometimes just a symbolic piece of art that we'd put on the annuals in the early days, mm. a, a speeding car or a motorcycle or something like that. 
Um, later on, it, it did reflect the characters from the weekly comic much more. Yeah, because, I mean, David Skew would, I know for the Royal of the Rovers annuals, a lot of time he'd be doing, he would have done the front cover, but it would be a, a guest artist who, who'd be doing the yeah. art inside the actual annual. Yeah. It would need all my persuasion to make him do an annual cover. <laughs> like he, he drew an annual cover in much more detail than he did the weekly strip. And uh, they were very good pieces of artwork. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They absolutely yeah. are. Absolutely yeah. are. Okay. So he's got one more question for you, if that's okay with you, Barry. Um, I, I guess, well, yeah, you're talking about your books. And so Comic Hero is one of your books. And the the last chapter, I think, is What a Life. And, you know, you kind of talk about, you know, what what, what an incredible life you've had in the comic industry. And, you know, I, I know you feel yourself fortunate to have been in the industry at the, at the time you actually were. But I guess thinking back over your long and successful career, is what's the thing you're, you're most proud of? Or is it possible to even say what that actually is? I think it's the fact that people still remember what we produced and remember with enthusiasm, like you guys. Uh, that is the big reward, I think, rather than one individual incident. Um, you could say I'm getting Prince Philip to write for the first issue of Why the Rose <laughs> yeah, was quite, yeah. quite, quite a big thing, getting out Sir Ralph Ramsey to manage Mel yeah. was big thing, getting Jeffrey Boycott to become chairman, big thing, and all the other stars that appeared in the titles. But it's the fact that they're remembered now after all these years, um, people are keen to talk to me about them. And that that's the big reward, I think. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really yeah. nice. Yeah. That, yeah. What, what an incredible legacy that people yeah. like ourselves are speaking to you 40 yeah. odd years later. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. Shows what impact. Nice people, you see. Yeah. Well, yeah, there are nice people as well as us. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> No, we, we, you know, we, we pour over them, don't we? And the, the discussions we, we have about, you know, ridiculous, whether or not back in the day when you were producing these comics, if you really thought that, that years later we'd be, you know, like what the colours that Real Grandpa were playing in and who remembers the matches against, you know, Danefield and FC Brüller and, and all these fantastic stories. And, and trust me, there's a whole community out there that we just still can't get enough. And I think for us, actually, it's a, it's a shame that they just didn't and carry on and, and we're still going strong because uh, we thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. Well, thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say that. Yeah, And it's cool. good to say that so many people follow me on Twitter, yeah. on X, and uh, you'll find me there and there's lots of chat about the world of comics. Yeah. Yeah, I should say actually. Yeah, Barry, is your handle on this? It Barry editor, isn't it? It's um at Barry editor one. At I think I was. I should know because I look at it every single day. Well, B A W R I E, not B A W R Y. You let the side down there, Matt. I know, I know. I should have known, shouldn't I? Let's bear in mind, I do the Twitter and X for for us. I know. Um, Joel, was there anything you before we let well before we let Barry go? Is there anything you want to ask or say to Barry? Yeah, I just yeah, I just I still can't believe that all these years later, my heroes, I get to you know actually talk to them. It, it just blows my mind. I mean, we've had you on twice now. We've had uh, Pete Nash, the striker, 
creator on twice. We've had David Skew on, I think I've lost count now, uh, four <laughs> times. And that's mainly because he never shuts up. But <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm humbled that you give up your time to come on and um, thank you for all the memories. Boy, it's my know. pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Matt? Uh, yeah, I suppose, Paul, you've, did you wonder anything? Or? Well, I was just going to say, Barry, I know, and we're really looking forward to that. I believe you are coming back and doing a joint episode with uh, David. Uh, as we've already alluded to, we know we're not going to hear so much from you in that episode because uh, <laughs> you won't hear so much from us either. Um, but we but we all enjoy uh, David's enthusiasm. But honestly, I think we've, we've managed maybe eight, 12 questions, but I think we've got hundreds more, so it would be lovely to also have you back at a future date because there's always questions that we can we can ask you. Um, but yeah, as Gold said, it's been an absolute honour and privilege, and thank you so much. It's a massive part of my life, as you can see from my collection, and it is m my main hobby in my life. So thank you so much, Barry. Thank you very much indeed. They're so nice of you. And yeah, I think well. I mean, the other guys have said it really, <laughs> so I don't really need much more to say. But Barry, we really do appreciate your time coming on the podcast today. Um, I say we, we do look forward to you coming back on um, in a future episode with David. Good luck but, um, with that. Just <laughs> yeah, just want to just a personal thank you for me, you know, for all that you've done, you know, in the comic world and um, major part of my life as well. So um, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for asking us such good questions. Okay. Well, okay. Yes. We'll, we'll see you give, soon. I'll give Roy a ring in a moment and tell him what's Brilliant. Happening. Fantastic. <laughs> Music to our ears, that is. Okay. Don't okay. you'll get me emotional again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cheers, Barry. Thank you. Well, welcome back. Um, that was the interview with Barry Thompson. I'm here with... Paul Tangent and also Goal. Um, chaps, just just your kind of reaction to that interview. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I, I hope it came across. I'm sure it did, but I loved every minute of it. And I thought we got some really great insights from uh, Barry there as well. I, I don't want to steal Goal's thunder, but how he got the, the colours of the Real Grand Parlour kit out of him. <laughs> how, how how true that, that that was or not, but forever they will be uh, green and white from now on. And yeah, it was yep. absolutely brilliant. Historians will, will have to source us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah and, and like i said to barry at the end as well i i mean i know go and yourself matt we've still got loads more questions that we could ask him so hopefully i mean we know he's coming back with david really looking forward to that one sorry david skew friend of the show i should say friend and um hopefully we'll see barry barry again because yeah well, there's just so much more we could discuss with him it's brilliant absolutely go what, what are your thoughts yeah pretty much said my feelings uh, near the end when we said our goodbyes to him um, just uh, a wonderful interview so friendly uh, so giving and uh, yeah like you said Tangent you know uh, I love the fact that you know we kind of had him make up colours <laughs> yeah. uh, for Real Grandpala and I hope that people will now you know, stick with those colours, just like they're now using the term United Burst as well on the socials. But yeah, it was just wonderful, really wonderful. And hearing things that we didn't know, again, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I thought it was really nice as at the end of it, you know, you, you, and, he, and he reeled off some, you know, the major, major achievements. You mean, like Prince, letter from Prince Philip, um, you know, getting in touch with all those major stars, yeah. you know, yeah. Jeff yeah. Boycott, Gordon Banks. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's pictures of Pele holding the copies of Tiger. Yeah, it's you know, unreal, and, isn't it? And you think, like, you know, things like Eric Morgan, getting Eric Morgan and Ernie Wise on. You know, <laughs> biggest star. Oh, oops, here we go. The, the biggest star. Tian, Tian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no! <laughs> you never sell, sell ice creams at going to that speed. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's just mind-blowing. But, 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 but the key thing for him was that readers, people like ourselves and our listeners, remember what he yeah. did you know and that was i thought that was really really lovely to hear um and yeah i mean hearing the stuff like some stories which didn't make the cut oh yeah that yeah that Christ, because that was incredible. the beginning yeah that was absolutely amazing i mean that story as well uh, like the band didn't one. make it yeah the band yeah. football and when you think obviously i mean and obviously all our wishes i to mr lockyer of uh of luton mm. but you know we mm. saw ericsson who's now now playing and other other players i mean that's amazing that that, that they'd thought of a story like that back in 1976 right um, mm. unbelievable yeah away, so did. yeah what a, what a what a what a great interview it was so yeah so yeah really pleased with that um and i'm hoping all the listeners i'm sure they would have enjoyed that too so yeah good episode chap so it's um mm. We need to do our goodbyes, but before I do our goodbyes, let's do as per normal, let's do the um, site addresses. So, Gull, could you do the site address, the, the site which you actually created? So, hopefully, you probably can. Yes, I could. <laughs> oh, sorry. But you're not yeah, going to. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I could, but I'm not going to, yeah. I thought this it's, episode uh, was going to www.champweareunited.proboards.com. Um, that's a site address. As we always say, it's now pretty much an archive site of over 55,000 posts. So much information, so much history there. Uh, but now more so, uh, most of the communication takes place on the Facebook group, which will lead me on to Tangent Pool. Yep. So on the Facebook groups, we've got the Roy the Rovers comic 40 years on. And then, of course, we've got the Champ We Are United and Football Picture Story Monthly fans. So those are two great groups there on Facebook for everybody to take a look at. Yep. And also we're on X. It's called X. It's not called Twitter anymore. <laughs> Elon Musk was on to me earlier saying, stop using that bloody Twitter. Um, <laughs> so the handle is, is what at... most people are actually doing. Yes, yes exactly forever <laughs> whatever um and it's at champ underscore r that's at champ underscore r a r e fantastic that's it mm. job done episode over so anyway, wow guys Bye -bye. yeah <laughs> well i know just before we go blown away um I, i've said it to you guys before you know Pete Nash, David Skew, and now Barry Tomlinson again. Yeah, just absolutely blown away to get these people on our, our little podcast. That's brilliant. Yeah, nice one. Well, Go. Well, yeah, I I reiterate what Tangent just said. Just you know, when when he was answering some of the questions, I just I was I was like, <laughs> I actually don't have words. Do you know what I mean? I can't oh, really explain. Yeah. Last. Uh, if we'd known this, we could have got we, Barry on earlier. I was going to say, and yes, that's why we're going to have Barry on every week from now on. <laughs> Sorry, Gull. 
Well, at least you didn't put me on mute this time. <laughs> oh, yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Well, uh, um, what, about, what about you, Matt? Yeah. So it's, yeah. What a great, great episode. Um, uh, yeah. Um, same. Can't believe we'd just be speaking to Barry Tomlinson. Yeah. It's mind blowing. Um, and um, hopefully, and, and we'll be speaking to him again very soon. So it's, it's a goodbye from myself um goodbye from all of us and yep. we'll see you all on the next episode goodbye bye, bye. bye.